Hey, I'm Jason Gray. Hey, this is Sarah Gross. Hey, I'm Andrew Osinga. Hi, this is Michael Carr. Hey, this is Andrew Peterson, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. And this is me, so let's have some exciting music. Who is me, you ask? Well, me is Rick Lee James, and this is my podcast, Voices in My Head. We've got a great show for you this week, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Voices in My Head. I am your host, Rick Lee James, and this is episode number 113. My guest today is Brian Zahn. He is one of my favorite authors. If you have been listening to this show for any time at all, um, you know that you have heard me talk about him. You've probably heard interviews with him before. Um, books like What to Do on the Worst Day of Your Life, Unconditional, um, a book that, that uh, until this most recent book that's coming out today, uh, this week, um, a Be- Beauty Will Save the World is a, a wonderful book um, about aesthetics and, and about really uh, the, the, lost, um, the lost idea of us seeking after the beauty of God and asking, is this beautiful? Um, and using that as a category for theology. And um, this latest book, which is coming out, A Farewell to Mars, um, it's probably my favorite, um, and not just because it's the most recent thing I've read by Brian, but it's an incredible read. Um, you really need to uh, read this book, Church. Uh, I'm talking to you, world. Let me just say world, um, and I know that's probably too broad of a category to hope that the world or even the whole church would read this, so let me say this. Um, if you're a pastor, read this book pastors, listen to me, please tell your pastor friends of every denomination and ilk. Um, it doesn't matter if they are Protestant, if they are Catholic, or if they are pre-denominational like uh, the Orthodox Church. This is a necessary, important book, A Farewell to Mars. I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, with that being said, um, Brian Zond is my guest today on the podcast, and uh, I am so glad to be able to share this conversation with you. Brian has been a friend. He has uh, been kind enough um, to endorse my my book, um, Out of the Depths, A Songwriter's Journey Through the Psalms, and um, it's been a fantastic honor to get to know him a little bit and uh, to read his books. And every week, I'm just telling you listeners, he has a podcast through his church, Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And every week, I listen to, uh, on average, about two sermons by Brian Zahn that they record and put out on that podcast. Um, the exception being um, on weeks when he's not around because he's traveling and doing speaking. And um, hopefully we can talk a little bit about the trip he just got back from where he was was teaching beauty will save the world but uh anyway thank you for listening to this podcast enjoy the conversation that i had with brian zahn and uh, go out and get a copy of his new book a farewell to mars it is really worth reading so uh i'll shut up now and uh and you'll hear me talking in the conversation with brian here on the show thank you for listening to voices in my head god bless My name, it ain't nothing My age, it means less The country I come from Is called the Midwest I started and brought up there 
the laws to abide And that the land that I live in Has God on its side War is a repudiation of the Lordship of Christ. War is a thing of the past. These words are from Brian Zahn's new book, A Farewell to Mars. In it, Brian outlines his transformation from an evangelical pastor who preached retribution after 9-11 to one who is willing to lay down his life for his enemies as Jesus taught today. Zahn argues that peace is at the heart of the Christian message and that Jesus has defeated the need for humans to kill each other. One of the ways this book shines is how it draws a sharp distinction between Christianity and nationalism. Eugene Peterson says about the book, Simply brilliant. Not a dull sentence in the book. And I wholeheartedly agree. Brian Zahn, welcome back to the Voices in My Head podcast. Thank you, Rick. It's good to be back. Well, I understand that you have been on a, a long trip teaching in Portugal uh, from your book, Beauty Will Save the World. How was that trip? You know, uh, Perry and I were there a year ago, my wife and I, um, for the release, the Portuguese release of Unconditional, my book on forgiveness. And now a year later, they have released uh, Beauty Will Save the World. And, you know, we just fell in love with Portugal last year, and then we go back this year. And there's just there's so much to like about that country. And um, I spoke, I think it was 16 times while we were there. Wow. Uh, all, nearly all of my speaking was on the subject of Beauty Will Save the World, promoting that book. So now I just, I just got back. I just got back last night, and so I've been back less than 24 hours. And uh, i got to switch gears now, because I'm back here, and now we're, we're getting ready for the release of the Farewell to Mars. Oh, wow. And tonight, I understand, is the release party for that. Yeah, we're doing something at church, and uh, the staff is putting it together, and, and uh, we'll see what they've got cooked up for me. I know that Derek Vreeland, one of our pastors there, he's going to interview me. I don't believe me on me. <laughs> but uh, they're going to sit me up on a chair somewhere, and he's going to sit up there with me and just, you know, interview me about the book. But actually, I'm really looking forward to it. That's great. Well, it's it's awesome to uh, to have. We're going to have cake too. So oh, you know, what? <laughs> it's an actual party. You know, <laughs> that was uh, when I did my book release. That was the thing that made it an official release. Is we had cake. So that's there you go. <laughs> that's yeah. great. Well, let me let me say thank you too. And and I know I told you this over email and such, but I want to thank you so much for just the beautiful endorsement you wrote for my book. And uh, I was telling you an email. I, I get to teach that at Trevecca University this summer. Um, just the book on the Psalms and everything. I, so I I have appreciated your work so much, and just the I'm way happy that, to do it, Rick. And and, and uh, I appreciate the way you invest in other people as well, and just you know helping people like me. And so uh, I, I'm looking forward to a great conversation with you today about your new book. All right, thank you. Um, well, let me ask you first off because I know that the title is probably. Uh, in itself, something that people have some wonderment about with Mars and everything. Uh, how many people have you talked to that thought you were referring to the planet Mars whenever you were telling them about well, this? Well, you know, I haven't talked to that many people. Oh, okay. Uh, because the book is just coming out. Sure, okay. I will tell you that, that the publisher was a little bit hesitant at first. Huh. And they said, well, we're not sure people will get it. I said, well, I don't care. <laughs> uh, you know, let let them let them wonder, let them figure it out, and that's why I think I stuck to my guns 
not in the Florida sense of the word, but, <laughs> <laughs> but in the metaphorical sense, I stood my ground. Again, not in the Florida sense. Right. <laughs> but, but I contended for that title, and that's why I think they, they went almost over the top on the um, the subtitle, An Evangelical Pastor's Journey Toward the Biblical Gospel of Peace. <laughs> and so, okay, uh, I guess that explains a little bit. Well, the, the book... Um, you know, I wrote it over to, over a period of months. I'm not a full-time writer. You know, I'm a pastor, and so I write when I write. But uh, I wrote it over the, a, a period of several months, and it wasn't until the very end that I stumbled upon this idea for the title. It had, I think I was just calling it like the Prince of Peace or something like that, which I was never satisfied with. I just thought, well, you know, that's nice, but it doesn't have any particular punch to it. Uh, again, that's a strange metaphor when talking about the Prince of Peace. It didn't have any times to it, <laughs> but uh, uh, it was really towards the very end that I, you know, and I don't think I'll just, uh, I won't tell the whole story because it's in the last chapter how I came up with this idea. But obviously it is a little bit of a play on Hemingway's book, A Farewell to Arms, sure. which could be viewed as Hemingway's contribution to anti-war thought and his um, World War One set novel by the name of Farewell to Arms, and then I'm using Farewell to Mars, which is, Mars, of course, was the Roman god of war, uh, derived from the Greek god of war, Ares. It's interesting, the Greeks um, had basically kind of a contemptuous attitude towards the god of war. Uh, they acknowledged him, but they didn't really, they, they didn't worship him, at least in the sense of, of uh, a god that they, um, how to say it, they loved. The, the Greeks didn't have that concept of air rays, yeah. uh, but the Romans did. The Romans uh, fell in love with the war god and have bequeathed that legacy to us. And I think that um, there is a deep, deep, deep tendency and a long history in Western tradition of mixing religion and devotion to war and the one strange hybrid entity that often can go under the name of Christianity but I beg to differ, and that's why that's why I wrote the book. Sure. Well, I I think the title is actually the more I think about it, it's it's one of the the great points of the book. I mean, I think it's a brilliant title, and and it does partially because it draws you in to think about what it means <laughs> first, because you can't yeah. just kind of take it at face value. You have to look a little deeper, and I know that that is is what this book really is about. I wonder if you could, um, and, and again, if I hit on anything, you don't want to give away too much because it is a new book, and so I don't want to like spoil anything for people, so you, you help me kind of tread around those waters today. But you start the book out, um, and, and you're very confessional in it, and you start talking about what you describe as your greatest sin as a pastor. And it really drew me in, and I think that most people who are pastors are going to understand what you're talking about. Would you be willing to, to share just a little bit, kind of a brief um, description of, of what you mean when you're describing that in the book? Yeah, I talk about um, I talk about the first Gulf War that began in 1991, and I was a pastor of a growing church at that time, very just very busy and very excited about life and, and being a pastor and all of that. Uh, but what was dominating the news conversation in those weeks was the lead up to uh, the actual Gulf War. It had been that, you know, Operation Desert Shield and all of that. It was response to the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait. 
And, you know, I mean, America going to war isn't particularly new. But what was new was that it was the, really the first time that it was going to be covered live. You know, if you remember, and you, some of you podcast <coughs> listeners yeah. are probably too young to remember, <laughs> but it, it's really what made CNN. Sure. And it's what made Wolf Blitzer a household name. And um, so here we were going to have a war, an actual shooting war, and it was going to be live on TV. And I was just so excited about it. I thought, wow, you know, watch a war on TV. What could be better than that? And, uh, you know, I remember some friends came over and we ordered a pizza and we, we, we watched, you know, the war yeah. of, of uh, you know, these, these cruise missiles and smart bombs and, it was kind of a precursor to shock and awe, which would come, you know, later. But uh, in, in the uh, 2003 Iraqi war. But, uh, you know, it was just an, it was a night of entertainment. It was kind of like a Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. It kind of had that feeling, you know. And I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, well, you know, I'm just watching the news. I'm just watching television. Yeah. Uh, I was certainly, you know, enthralled by the U.S. military might and our ability to enforce our will upon others. And, you know, albeit for the sake of however we define concepts, nebulous concepts generally, like liberty and freedom and justice and all of that. And I didn't think anything more of it for years. Years. I had, I had, I'm certain I had forgotten that episode. And then one day, maybe ten years ago or so, I was in prayer. And that whole scene just played back like an incriminating surveillance video. I was reminded of that moment in my life where I sat and watched pizza and was entertained by a war. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, that is your worst sin. And I, I was deeply convicted and I wept and I repented. And I've told this story a few times, not often, but I've told it a few times. And when I have related this, you know, something interesting happened. And that is people usually come up to me and one way or another try to convince me, well, surely this could not have been your worst sin. <laughs> I don't know if they mean either I'm sure you've done worse things or this can't be all that bad. Yeah. And my only defense is, well, you know, I know what I heard the voice say. And yeah. That's what the voice said. Mm. And that, along with a couple of other um, key moments, really helped crystallize some of my thinking about how Christ informs us on the subject of war. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's chronicled, chronicled in the book. The book is not a, the book is not a memoir, but it's, it's very uh, autobiographical. Yeah. There's a lot of my own story in there, because that's really where it comes from. I didn't, I, I certainly never thought, okay, well, this will be my next thing. I'll just really begin to emphasize Christian nonviolence as a sermon topic. That, is not, that isn't at all what happened. What happened was, I guess, I don't know what happened. As I stayed on the journey, one thing led to another, and Jesus began to reveal himself to me as uh, the Prince of Peace who has a political theology that he called us into. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and the book, I was, I was careful in writing the book. In that, I mean by that, I, I'm, I'm making my case by telling my story. Right. And, um, you know, I mean, I guess every author feels this way, but I feel like I can't sum up the book. I, all I yeah. can say is read the book, because I, I intentionally kept the book as short as I could. It's not, it's not a very long book. Sure. 
like, I don't know, it's like, I'm looking at it here, it's, it's like 200 pages, 194 pages, and it's, it's fairly, you know, nice spacing, easy to read, that sort of thing. It's not, it's not a hard book to read. Yeah. Um, I could have, I could have had some, you know, major treatise on the subject of Christians more, but that wasn't what I wanted to do. Yeah. I wanted to tell my story and make my case for Jesus, uh, leading the world out of the dead end of war. Sure. Well, and I, you know, I, I can, I can remember I was, uh, in junior high and I remember being in school during the first Gulf War and, uh, and not quite exactly the same situation as you described, but I remember them wheeling TVs into the classroom um, sure. we, when we kind of had a special day where we, um, I don't remember if it was pizza, but we had some food. And I and I can remember being so caught up in that. And I remember having like T-shirts that I bought from Walmart mm. somewhere that yeah. was, you know, Operation Desert Storm and just being so proud and, you know, yeah, we're bombing them and, and, and not feeling any contradiction between that and my faith. And I think it's interesting as I hear you talk, and, and I've heard you, um, while I've not had the, the pleasure of being able to go through your, your prayer class that you do, I've heard enough of your sermons and read enough of your writing. When I think about what prayer is, I'm reminded that prayer um, is something that happens over the long journey. It's not something that yeah. we just go right into. And so often we'll say, well, what did Jesus tell you about it today? You know, And sometimes it, it's that slow burn with prayer that as we continue going through it, and um, I love, you know, as you're, as you're recounting your story in the book and even as you just did right now, sometimes it takes a while for us to be open enough to hear what the Spirit would say to us and to really yeah. be able to... And, and, and so I, I love that... Um, that you're open to that kind of um, what really I think became almost another conversion for you. You know, as I as I read, that's a very that's a very astute uh, way of looking at it. I think, Rick, I think it's very accurate. Yeah. Um, well, and, and I think that we do, and you, you talk about this in your in this book about how we have a tendency to separate um, Jesus from his ideas, mm-hmm. and and um, we have far too people who believe um, that. In the the risen Christ and his revolutionary ideas, we just more want to make it sort of a um, well. He just meant the spiritually type thing. But yeah. um, one one of these days, I hope to get around to writing a book called uh, called Things We Think Jesus Was Kidding About. Uh, <laughs> because, right. Uh, because I feel like in in this reading, you're addressing you know one of the main things when we talk about violence. Um, so let me ask you this: Why why do you think that violence is viewed by Christians? as such a legitimate way of shaping our world, when it seems like when we read Jesus, that's such a betrayal. Because it is the way we've shaped the world. Hmm. I, I don't know that we've really seriously attempted to shape the world any other way. This, this is the world that has been handed to us. It is a world organized around violence. I don't think I'm overstating when I say or, the violence is the organizing principle of the world, the cosmos, the, the the societal structure that we live in. The Bible tells a story like this. The Cain kills his brother Abel, lies to himself and God about it, am I my brother's keeper, and then goes off and founds the first city. I mean, what is the Bible trying to tell us? The Bible is trying to tell us that human civilization has a violent foundation. And then the role of God and gods become the comes to be primarily to bless our side, hmm. to give us to give us uh, victory in our wars, in our battles. 
And Jesus offers us the alternative to that. But what we have tried to do since Constantine, we might need to talk a little bit about that, but since Constantine, what we have tried to do is uh, to make Jesus another war god. Hmm. We have tried to make him a kind of Mars. Um, I tell the story in the book about being in a church um, around the fifth anniversary of 9-11. And the church thought I was there as a guest speaker. Yeah. And the church thought that, uh, well, you know, it's fifth anniversary of 9-11, we have to do something. So they came up with the idea. They, they played the soundtrack was Lee Greenwood's I'm Proud to be American, or at least I know I'm free. Right. And, but the video that ran throughout the entire length of that song was nothing but, but one uh, image of Amer- American military might after another. That is, you saw, you saw fighter jets and bombers and, uh, you know, uh, aircraft carriers and destroyer ships and <coughs> missiles and guns and tanks and all of that. Just a continual display of American military might while people are singing, I'm proud to be an American, or at least I know I'm free. And I looked around, and this was in an Assembly of God church, and, uh, you know, people were lifting their hands in worship. And I thought, what, what is going on here? Well, they, you know, uh, some of my philosopher friends will call that an eruption of the real, hmm. where what is, what is really there has erupted out into the service and, surface, and that is that we have thought that it is completely compatible to worship Jesus and also see him as a kind of war god. Hmm. And that's really been what uh, the church has struggled with ever since, um, well, for 17th century, since since in since the year 312, when Constantine, as the story goes, you know, I don't know quite what to make of the story. Yeah. If you want to take it at face value, he tells the story that he saw a sign in the heavens. It was a cross. And and the voice said, "In this sign you shall conquer." And then he placed crosses upon the implements of war. He was involved in the civil war at that time right. with his rival Maximus. And uh, there was the, the decisive battle of the battle, uh, the battle of the Milvian Bridge. And Constantine put Christian symbols of a fetish for war upon his soldiers' shields and all of that, and they went forth and were victorious. And uh, then that paved the way for Christianity to become the favorite religion and then the state religion, or as I say it, it paved the way for Christianity to become a chaplain to the empire. Mm. And we have been struggling with that notion ever since. Yeah. Well, and I, I, as you mentioned, Constantine, you know, from what I've read, uh, whether it goes back to my church history classes in college or whatever, it always it almost feels like the cross was sort of his lucky rabbit's foot, it, rather than this, you know. The, oh, that's exactly how he treated it. Yeah, uh-huh. definitely. Um, and and as you mentioned Constantine, and I was thinking through. I mean, I've I've had a lot of conversations with people, and it always goes back to that. But you even point out in your book, I think we could even trace it back to. Um, the people in uh, the city as Jesus was riding in on Palm Sunday and they're shouting yeah. Hosanna and uh, they're still wanting uh, someone to come in by force and by violence and Jesus just wasn't going to conform to that pattern and um, I, I think it's very interesting as you mentioned Constantine and the story of him seeing this vision um, wouldn't it be interesting if, if that really was a true vision of 
God trying to tell him, "You're through this, you will conquer." But yeah. Const- Constantine wasn't rooted enough in prayer to understand that the what, what God meant by conquering was not what He meant. <laughs> you know. Well, we use um, words like conquer, yeah, and freedom, and uh, truth. We use words like that, uh, but I don't. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm thinking of a line from The Princess Bride. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Uh, Freedom. I have a whole chapter entitled, Freedom is Just Another Word For. Yeah. And freedom tends to be in our our patriotic, nationalistic usage of the word. It tends to be a euphemism for the power to kill our enemies. Hmm. It's very clear that is not what Jesus is talking about. In fact, I, I, I walk the reader through John chapter 8, which is very interesting. John 8 opens and closes with attempted stonings. The woman caught in adultery at the beginning, and then at the end of the chapter, they're ready to stone Jesus. But what is very interesting is that the very famous line, you shall know the truth and truth shall know the truth, uh, Jesus is addressing some would-be Judean disciples, not Pharisees, not opponents, but people that have become persuaded that he is the Messiah. Now, you need to understand Messiah, though, is how, how they thought of it. That is, they're sent by God, King, to liberate them from the foreign oppressors that were the Romans. And... Jesus understands that, that his vision of the vocation of Messiah and their vision are at odds. They don't realize it. But Jesus says, well, okay, so you want to be my disciples. Fantastic. Well, if you abide in my word, you'll stick close to my teaching, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And I say, well, yeah, we're free. We're free, in, you know, in that sense. And he says, no, you're really not free. Uh, you're You're... You're slaves to a particular sin, and it's evidenced by the fact that you are devoted to killing. And, and Jesus keeps bringing this theme of killing up throughout the book of John. And they say, we don't want to kill him. He says, yeah, you, you really do. Uh, and, and then at the end, there's an eruption of the real, and they want to kill him. Huh. Uh, so we have screened out that John 8 is really Jesus teaching very clearly. And it's not that hard to see. It's there if you want to see it. Jesus is saying, the truth I want to set you free from is the idea that we have a legitimate right to define freedom as the power to kill our enemy. Hmm. Wow. And that's what the chapter is really about. I'm not making that up. I'm not importing that in there. It's in there, but we've screened it out. Yeah. And then what we do is we say, well, you know, Jesus will set you free from your bad habits and and whatever, and I, I don't have a problem with that statement. Yeah, praise God, you know, yeah. I, I believe that. I believe Jesus does help, you know, deliver us and set us free from all that would destroy us, but the particular context of John 8, Jesus is talking about collective murder, about about the way that we deal with enemies. Yeah. And that's what he's talking And he says that we are a slave to that, and he, he, he makes reference to Cain, and Satan. He talks about you're of your father, the devil. He was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. Well, the beginning of what? Well, it's the beginning of, of human murder and deceit. And that's Cain and Abel. 
but it's also the beginning of human civilization. Yeah. So human civilization is built upon a wrong foundation, and Jesus is attempting nothing less than to give us a new foundation, an alternative arrangement for human society. Yeah. So one of the things I'm doing in this book is I'm, I'm wanting to take Jesus very seriously. Uh, you know, people will say, well, so, so you're a pacifist. I said, I don't like labels. Yeah. Kierkegaard was right. When you label me, then you negate me. Yeah. You can, so he's a, he's a pacifist. He's one of those. <laughs> so I, I don't take the label of pacifist. I just, yeah. I said, I, what I am as a Christian, if you want to put a label on me, there's one I'll take, and I'm a Christian. Now let's have the conversation about what our Lord taught us concerning violence. Right. So yeah. if I'm adopting a position of Christian based on violence today, uh, the blame falls squarely on Jesus. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, he's the one that led me into this. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I and I think that's a, a great thing that you point out in the book because I I get accused of that, and I I don't mind uh, identifying, I guess, as a pacifist if that's the only category we have. But you know, we 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 do like you say the the labels tend to negate us um what we're really trying to get at is being faithful to christ and um and i was having a conversation with somebody the other day and they said well being a pacifist being a christian are not the same thing and i said oh i know that i, I know that but it just uh, following jesus it looks so much like that sometimes that's why i always get yeah. labeled that way <laughs> you know yeah. um uh, speaking of uh, of people who are able to kind of look at our situation, I you know I I don't know of a better definition of a prophet than one who can kind of look at their own time as almost an outside observer. And I think Mark Twain uh, was a brilliant guy mm, to do my. that. And I was so pleased to see that you included his war prayer in your book because I I feel like the more I read from Mark Twain, I feel like wow, here was a prophet in our time, and we may not have even known it. You know? Yeah. Um, I wonder if and you said you had the book in front of you and and if you don't want to do that uh this morning this is fine but i wondered if you would want to read even just a portion of the war prayer i think it's found yeah, uh, uh, page is fine. uh page 94 and going into 95 yeah. um, i uh I, I actually cite mark twain a couple of times yeah uh later on in the book i cite him from huckleberry finn yeah mark twain of course you know he wasn't a believer he made that pretty clear yeah uh, but what he was is he was a master novelist. And when we talk about the great masters, I don't just mean, you know, a hack writer of fiction. But when I talk about, you know, a Tolstoy or a, or a, or a Dostoevsky or a Faulkner or a, a Twain, what these, what these great artists have is the gift of sight. And they perceive things. And they tend to see things the way they are. And uh, and then they write them. Yeah. And that is very akin to the work of the prophet. Well, okay. The war the war prayer. <laughs> it's it, it's the setting is it, it doesn't really tell us, but but from the time when uh, Mark Twain wrote it, we think it was uh, probably set at the time of the, the Philippine American War, which we even hardly even know anything about these days. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it was around 1904, and America was going to war, and everybody was all excited. And, um, you know, it was very much like the days after 9-11 now. And the churches were packed, and the pastor got up and prayed a rousing prayer, you know, for God's blessing upon our noble young soldiers, etc. Um, it was just filled with all kinds of euphemisms and just the general patriotic 
God speak that can happen in churches in moments like that. But then something happens, and this elderly man walks in, walks right up onto the platform. By the way, uh, uh, our listeners, if they want to, they, there's some really good YouTubes of this. Hmm. Just, just, you know, search on YouTube, uh, War Prayer, Mark Twain's War Prayer. There's some that are acted out. There's, uh-huh. some that, there, there's, a, there's one that's animated. There's one that uses live actors. Wow. There's some that are very well done. Yeah, cool. uh, okay, but the, the, but the, the, uh, what the stranger said in the church is, I'm going to pray for you what you really meant when you prayed your war prayer. Mm. And it goes like this. O oh Lord, our Father, our young patriots, idols of our hearts, go forth into battle. Be thou near them, with them. In spirit, we also go forth from the sweet peace of our beloved fireside to smite the foe. O Lord, our God, help us tear their soldiers to bloody shreds with our shells. Help us to cover their smiling fields with the pale form of their patriot dead. Help us to drown the thunder of the guns with the shrieks of the wounded writhing in pain. Help us to lay waste their humble homes with hurricane of fire. Help us to wring the hearts of their unoffending widows with unavailing, unavailing grief. Help us turn them out ruthless with their little children to wander unfriended the wastes of their desolate land in rags and hunger and thirst. Sports of the sun flames of summer and the icy winds of winter, broken in spirit, worn with travail, imploring thee for the refuge of the grave and denied it for our sakes who adore thee. Lord, blast their hopes, blight their lives protract their bitter pilgrimage, make heavy their steps, water their way with their tears, stain the white snow with the blood of their wounded feet. Hmm. We ask it in the spirit of love of him who is the source of love and who is the ever-faithful refuge and faithful friend of all who are sore beset and seek his aid with humble and contrite hearts. Amen. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's very, very powerful. Very powerful. Yeah, it's and it's, uh, so so, you know, I mean, simple things. Um, I don't think I I don't think I put this in the book. I can't remember. You know, you write a book and then you have to read it to remember <laughs> what you said. But right. um, I saw a church not long ago. Um, they had a huge sign on the side of their building, a banner, and it said, uh, "We pray for our troops." I thought, well, okay. The problem I have with that sign is our. Uh. What do you mean by our? Do you mean the church's troops? Church doesn't have troops. Well, you mean our troops, American troops. Well, in what way? In what way then are they our troops? Right. Now, look, I have numerous friends and church members uh, in the military. Uh, one of my very best friends. A lieutenant colonel just returned from Afghanistan. And I prayed for him every day faithfully. And I prayed for, you know, I prayed that he would return to his family in his future, that he would return safely. Um, and so, you know, I prayed that, and I that's legitimate. But, you know, I'm going to pray that for everybody. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to pray for our troops in the sense of, God, help us smite the enemy, help our bullets to find the mark while theirs miss their targets. Amen. I, I'm just not going to pray that way. And that's what that's what uh, Mark Twain is is bringing out in the war prayer. Sure. Oh, it's so it's, a, it's 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 pretty uh, you know 
I mean, it's it's a it's a stinging indictment that I mean it, it really it, it really touches a nerve I think and and when we hear it that way um, it just makes us see what we're saying in a different way we you know we don't we don't realize uh, maybe a good parallel to our culture in some ways now we don't realize that some sometimes the things we purchase actually cause the harm of other people. You know, in in a society like yeah. we have, where we're so uh, steeped in systemic sin, and we don't even realize sometimes that what we're saying is that. And I think that's why things like um, Mark Twain's War Prayer are so helpful. Um, I'll, I'll I'll share a quick story with you, and then um, and maybe maybe we can ask some advice from you because I know you've been dealing with this. Um, I, I'm sure for some time, and you're probably. Um, you're probably getting some flack if I know how people are <laughs> for yeah. things. Uh, but uh, I, I just very recently, and I won't, I won't say where it was because some people might know where it was. But I just very recently um, was playing a, a service. Uh, re- it was a revival service over a weekend, and and uh, the minister was an older gentleman, and he asked me if I would close the uh, the service with "I surrender all." And I said, mm-hmm. sure, sure, I know that. You know, that's great. I can do that. So um, at the end of service, I was sitting at the piano getting ready to sing, and uh, the minister started telling the story of, um, you know, how Muslims are persecuting us. And, uh, of course, there's been some of that in the news. And it quickly ter- took this tone that I wasn't comfortable with. And he started yeah. talking to the congregation about how, um, you know, being that we're near Memorial Day and all, uh, we need to pray for those who are going to defend our freedom because the Muslims are coming. Mm-hmm. They're coming for us. And uh, and I found myself at this like this almost turned from a surrender to Jesus because we need Christ so desperately to you better surrender to Jesus because the Muslims are coming to get you. And uh, yeah. and it, it turned into this uh, us versus them, which I've heard you talk about many times through your sermons. And I felt so uncomfortable and I was there I was on the platform and I was kind of like wow what do I do now (laughs) how do I how do I do this so so let me just ask you maybe we can kind of have a closing conversation and and get some of your thoughts as one who is uh, a minister who is preaching the gospel of peace and and you're doing your best to preach faithfully the words of Jesus have you found any way to to have a a good conversation with other ministers um, who seem to be set against this in some way? Because in my experience, um, while we should be in a place of being open to a new conversion again, like you describe in your book, um, many of us are not. And uh, I wonder if you have any helpful ways of even having a conversation with uh, people like ministers who have never heard the gospel this way, um, people maybe who have been in congregations their whole life, um, people who are just so set on you know the the support our troops mentality versus yeah. let's pray for everybody. Um, do you have any helpful advice or anything to offer to people like that? Yeah, what I do is I keep it very intensely Jesus. Mm. Uh, I make Jesus do all the heavy lifting. Yeah, I, I am not arguing for an ethic of nonviolence independent of Jesus Christ. If God has not raised Jesus from the dead, then I think um, I think we're without hope. Mm. I think um, I think then that the argument for violence as a means of shaping the world remains, uh, if not legitimate, it remains the only option, and it is a bankrupt option 
And I think uh, we're, we're just we're just forestalling the day when the mushroom clouds appear. Hmm. Um, so I, I, um, my position on war and on violence is entirely shaped by Jesus. And so I just keep returning to the scriptures over and over and over. Now, when I say the scriptures, you understand that, uh, we're going to ha- we have to have an interpretive lens. <laughs> sure. And that is Jesus, because you can find whatever you want in the Bible. That's true. You can endorse war with the Bible as well as you can endorse slavery and a lot of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in using the Bible to in, endorse violence has been done for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it isn't just the Bible, but it's rather, it's Christ. Mm-hmm. And it's rather interpreting Scripture in the light of Christ. You know, you mentioned... Um, you mentioned the fellow, the pastor, that that uh, is concerned about Muslim violence. And, and look, that can, that's very legitimate, and especially in places like Nigeria that I've been to uh, on three different occasions. I understand that. Um, but what is our response? Look, I was, in, I was in Istanbul a couple of years ago, and I was visiting the Topkapi Palace, which is now a museum, and among the uh, artifacts there, the exhibits in the museum, is the sword of Muhammad. Hmm. And, I, and I just stood there for a long time in the park. Well, that's quite remarkable. There we have the sword of Muhammad. And I thought, how wonderful it is that you'll never be taken into a museum somewhere in this world and be shown a weapon <laughs> that belonged to Jesus of Nazareth. But lest people hear that as another form of triumphalistic boasting, I quickly want to add, are war-endorsing Christians secretly envious of the Muslim faith? (laughs) Mm. Do they wish that Jesus was more like Muhammad and less like the preacher of the Sermon on the Mount? So, if, if, if we are going to say, look, I believe that Christianity is a superior revelation of God than what we find in Islam, and I do confess that, I do believe that, I am unapologetically a Christian, then I say, okay, but then let's be very serious about following the Jesus way. And throughout the book, I keep returning to this theme that we have separated Jesus, the, the Jesus of the creeds, that we confess he's the second person of the Trinity, fully God, fully man, all of that. We've separated that from his ideas. Hmm. And we, we, we console ourselves by saying, I faithfully confess Christ, and yet at the same time, with a wave of our hand, we dismiss his ideas, especially hmm. his ideas about violence, as unworkable, untenable, uh, something that we can just uh, ignore. And I don't, you know, I think, you know, something, something changed post-1945. We're post-something. And we now possess weapons that are capable of destroying cities at a single go. Uh, We've progressed from Cain's club, by which he kills Abel, to these weapons that can kill Abel a million at a time. Hmm. And when I say we, I don't just, I I mean the human race. Sure. And it's not just the United States and Russia and France and Germany. It's also India 
and Pakistan and North Korea and who and and eventually there's going to be more and more and more nations that possess these things. And I think the hope for the world is that we become serious about the message of peace given to us in Jesus Christ. Hmm. Amen. Um, Amen. Well, that's that's a wonderful way to put it. And I I, I remember uh, William Willimon uh, saying one time, he said, you know, when you preach, hide behind a big Bible. <laughs> that's and, it. Uh, that's and, good. And that's I like a, that. That's a wonderful way to put it and a wonderful way to think about it. And and just also that as Christians, you know, I, I heard the the late Yaroslav Pelikan, and he's talking about creeds one time, and these the idea of confessing our beliefs. He says, you know, to believe one thing is to disbelieve another. To say yes mm-hmm. is also to say no, and I, I really love that. And so I think about what you say uh, in your book, where you say Jesus did not renounce the way of violence for the way of peace, so that we could renounce the way of peace for the way of violence. And yeah. um, and I think that is a, a wonderful way to put it today uh i just want to say thank you again for writing this book i i think it's i think it's a courageous book i uh, i hope that people will read it with open hearts with will read it with open minds um i've i've told people and i'm not kidding i said i hope that everybody in all churches everywhere will read this book but if we can't aim for that i'm hoping we can at least get pastors to read it <laughs> because yeah. uh, it really is i, I, I just, hope so too i feel like it's a very important book and and i i just appreciate so much your work. Thank you for, um, with all that you have going on, taking some time today when you just got back from this trip and tonight is your book release. Um, I thank you for taking time to be on the show again today. I hope you eat lots of delicious cake tonight <laughs> and uh, hope you just yeah. have a great time of celebration this evening. But uh, anything else, any uh, closing thoughts? I know we have your website at brianzon.com. Um, they can find your sermons if they go to Word of Life Church, uh, St. Joseph, Missouri. And, and download podcasts from that. Anything else that you would like to share with our listeners about what you have going on? You know what I think? I don't know if I have anything to share about what I'm, what's going on. I'm just you know, passing the church and writing books, but maybe I'll just leave you with this. I'm going to read the uh, the prelude. Okay. The the prelude. I call it the prelude. <laughs> it's, a, it's a musical term. You should appreciate that, Rick. Sure, definitely. And, and uh, I say it like this. Dear little book, I had to write you. You wouldn't let me sleep until you were written. You were rude in your insistence. I had thought I would wait till I was older, till I had less to lose before I wrote you. But then Jude, Mercy, and Sin, my grandchildren, came along, and you insisted on being written for them. So I did your bidding. Now you're written. Soon you will be let loose to go where you will and to speak to whom you may. Try not to cause me too much trouble. At least be kind enough to remind your readers that in writing you, I only told the truth. I wish you well. Your somewhat reluctant author, Brian Zahn. <laughs> what a wonderful prelude, and that is a great way for us to end our podcast today. So, listeners, the book is called A Farewell to Mars. The author is Brian Zahn. I encourage you. Uh, I No, I implore you. Go pick up this book and read it. It's, it's going to be a necessary part of your faith journey and an important part. Brian, thank you for being one of the voices in my head this week. Thank you, Rick. with pride For you don't count the dead When God's on your side
We forgave the Germans And then we were friends Though they murdered six million In the ovens they fried The Germans not too We got weapons of the chemical dust. If five and we're forced to, then five them we must. One push of the button and a shot the world wide. God's on your side In many a dark hour been thinking about this that Jesus Christ was betrayed by your kiss but I can't think for you you have to decide whether Judas Iscariot has God on his side So now I am leaving I'm weary as hell The confusion I'm feeling Ain't no tongue can tell The words fill my head fall to the floor If God's on our side He'll stop the next war You've been listening to Voices in My Head the official podcast of Rick Lee James If you'd like to know more about me my ministry, my music, my life go to my website at rickleejames.com And I'd love this to be a community experience, so if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.